Ma. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. It's been a while. I'm your host, Manny Navarro, and joined, as always, by my producer, Mike Zimmerman, and the great Kelvin Harris, the guy who's got three national championship rings, a whole lot of swagger. And in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about this exclusive interview that Andy Staples, our Andy Staples, the Athletics Andy Staples, had with Manny Diaz last week. I love the way Andy rolls. He literally calls Manny Diaz up or calls the UM Sports Information Department up and says, hey, I'm in the area. Is anybody available? And Cameron Gorby, who's the sports information director for football, is basically like, yeah, you want to come in and talk to Manny Diaz? And boom, 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 he's in Manny Diaz's office. I've been trying for years to get in the coach's office, but I can't do it. Andy Staples makes one phone call. Rolls right up in there and gets 22 minutes of podcast time with Manny Diaz. I'm jealous. I'm jealous, Kelvin. Well, if you take uh, if you take uh, Gorby to uh, Tootsie's, uh, you know, or Prime 112, you wouldn't have those problems. You're probably right. You're probably right. Although Cameron's, uh, you know, listen, he sticks to his morals. He's a good dude. He doesn't he doesn't need to be wined and dined. I think. You know, it's just, it's Andy Staples. That's the deal. It's like Andy Staples walks around, everybody's ready to listen to him and have him come in and do interviews. And, and when, you're, when you're at the top of the food chain, you're at the top of the food chain. What can you say? So let's talk about this podcast. Kelvin, you listen to it. I listen to it. Mike Zimmerman, you listen to it. Mike, I'm going to ask you first. What do you take away from everything you heard from Andy Diaz? Because a lot of it he kind of said before on National Signing Day, but, you know, to me, to hear him sort of repeat some of the things that he said and then emphasize some of the things he said, what was your biggest takeaway? I, I guess my big thing is that you can tell in his voice that he knows this is kind of his last shot to 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 get this thing rolling. So he needs to be confident in every move he makes, whether or not he truly believes that. But in the way he's talking about every move, whether it was hiring Rhett Lashley or bringing in De'Ara King, any other offseason moves, he needed to be 100% confident because he, he he knows this is probably his last chance to to save his job. And I, I guess the big thing is that he, his confidence is that he's just, he's doubling down. He's saying, you know what, these are the things that we need. And, and I think that's, that's really my biggest takeaway is the confidence, um, especially compared to the end of the season where... He looked like just a lost man, and and he looked defeated. And now it's sort of almost like re-energized the program, I guess. Um, and I guess we'll see if it pays off. But he he's confident in his decisions, uh, bringing in new coaches, uh, new quarterbacks. So I, I guess we'll we'll see how these changes turn out. Yeah, spring practice is going to start on February 29th, so a little over a week from now, from when we're recording this on on Thursday afternoon, right around four o'clock. Um, so there's going to be a lot of interesting storylines to discuss. We're going to get to that in, in our next podcast next week. But I want to break down some of the sound bites from this interview with Andy Staples. And I wanted Kelvin to come on to opine as well, because we talk about a lot of these things as topics just on the phone, just not even on the podcast, just between me and him. 
And sometimes with you, Mike Zimmerman, you and I talk a lot about what we hear, you know, Manny Diaz say. Um, let's start by listening to this clip um, as far as what Manny did uh, in terms of analytics, what numbers he studied. He talked about that on signing day that, you know, he puts these charts together. Here's a little bit more detail as far as what he told Andy Staples regarding that topic. You're, you are an analytics guy. What types of numbers were you looking at as you were taking that hard look, trying to figure out what can we do differently? Well, we put a chart, I put a chart together um, that spanned back the past decade. And, um, and number one, how many wins a year at Miami's had? Because you got to get a real sense of what you're trying to fix. Um, and, and issues that have been a problem for multiple years uh, sometimes don't get fixed overnight. Um, so how many times, what's, what's Miami won every year? Um, what has been, where, where have we ranked in the nation in terms of scoring offense? Where have we ranked in terms of yards per run, yards per pass, um, yards per play? They turn it around the same thing defensively. What's been our, our you know, scoring defense, yards per run, yards per pass, yards per play? And, and I kind of made a chart and every, every number that was in the top 25, I made that number green. Any number that was 60 or lower, I made it red. Anything kind of 26 to 59 was just black. That's kind of just average. Um, and just try to look for, for trends. Um, and then also did um, recruiting rankings, who the starting quarterback was in those years, who the head coach was in those years, because, of course, there's been, there's been a lot of turnover. Um, you know, Miami hasn't ranked in the top 30 in scoring offense in a decade. That would be hard to believe. You know what's crazy? It's, it's not just a Manny Diaz thing. I think it's a Manny thing, putting together these charts, because – I, I look. I'm a football numbers nerd. I look at a ton of numbers. I'm not always writing stories. I'm not always on the computer. I'm not always on the phone talking to Kelvin or Mike. I spend a lot of time, especially in the middle of the night. I'd say from about midnight till three, four in the morning, which is why I don't sleep good. Looking at numbers, doing research, and I the same exact chart that Manny talked about right there about plays per game, offense, scoring, rushing. I did that chart last summer. And I did it from 2018 all the way back to uh, 2000, where the numbers were readily available. And I ha actually have some of these numbers in red, in green. And here's, here's one in particular that I find interesting. Because this, this whole offense, Kelvin, is predicated on no huddle, up-tempo, up run a lot of plays, right? That's what Rhett Lashley is going to do here. They finished third last year in plays run. Miami... If you, if you go back, and I'm not looking at last year, but from 2018 all the way back to 2013, 118th, 108th, 113th, 96th, 119th, 119th, 79th, and 119th. That's going all the way back to 2011 in terms of the number of offensive plays that they've run. And all of those numbers are in red for me. And you go to 2010, that was the last time they finished in the top 25 in, in plays run. They ran 72 plays a game that year. And if you go all the way back to 2000, okay, and this is the championship era when they were winning championships, they ran 70.4 plays in 2000 when they should have been in the national championship game, 69 plays, 0.3 plays per game when they won the championship. And then the year after when they lost on that BS pass interference call, 68 plays per game. If this dude... Rhett Lashley's running 81 plays per game. There's no choice but for the offense, for the numbers, everything, rushing, passing, all of that has to go up, right? Yeah. I, well, I'm going to say this. Um, I agree that the tempo probably needs to speed up. But what you guys need to 
not get caught up in is is the number of plays because the one big difference in the SEC and the ACC compared to the Pac-12 and uh, the little the little uh, the little twelve. Uh, I I don't call it the big two. It's the little twelve. Is that they play defense in these two conferences? And what you got to understand is when you're running a hundred plays, your defense is going to be on the field about a hundred plays too. And that's why you see the disparity in defenses in those two west of the Mississippi conferences. And the one thing is, everybody's excited, and I agree that we maybe we do need to step it up and run more plays. But here's the thing. The strength of our team is our defense and our kicking game. And there's going to be a point when you're going to get up and then you slow it down. Because when you're up 28-3 to or 35-3, to you're just dumb if you're running plays and you're not using all the play clock. You know, because you can still... You know, and, and and mind you, I know I'm a little older than you guys. I played in the original spread offense, and we didn't run no huddle, but we ran quite a few plays. But when it was time, we ran the ball down people's throats. And that is where I think you're going to see the differences. Once we get up, we're going to hand the ball to Cam Harris and those freshmen and Robert Burns and maybe throw a play-action pass and just – because you don't want your defense on the play, on the field more than say fifty plays, and you know sometimes offenses get caught up in these numbers, and it's not about numbers; it's about winning the game, and playing complimentary football. And I think his experiences with Auburn will help. You're going to see a happy medium between what he did at Auburn, and what he did at SMU, in my opinion. Well. I'll tell you this. I'm I'm looking at some of these other numbers, okay? And, and you talk about how stats really don't always tell the story. But I will say this. When Miami was playing for the national championship or in the national championship hunt from 2000 to 2002, they averaged over 40 points per game each of those seasons. Over the last 15, 16 years, it's been 27, 19, 20, 24, 28 points per game. And that's the bottom line is that's why you in college football today with how these offenses have opened up you got to be averaging probably at least 35 points a game to be one of the best teams in college football so while you're right it's not necessarily about the number of plays that you run because when you do get up big you want to be able to run the clock out etc you have to get in the end zone you have to score points and that's ultimately why this team was six and seven last year because of missed field goals and just not scoring enough points to beat some bad teams that they should have beaten. And so I think once that changes and you're averaging closer to 35 points a game with this defense, you could, should win 10 games, at least 10 games every single season. So we'll see where we go from here. The next clip I want to play is why this is finally the right time to go to the spread offense. And many talked about it. I know Kelvin, you and I have both talked about it in the past. Um, we didn't necessarily think you had to go to the spread because, you know, I know you're an old pro-style pro style guy anyway. You think that's better to get guys ready for the pros, et cetera. Um, but it's obvious that with some of the knowledge that these guys have or lack of knowledge, that the less thinking they have to do, the better that it's probably going to help these guys out. So let's listen to what Manny said in terms of why this is the right fit for right now. 
But I think it's also still about finding the right fit. And, and as you know, so much of this is right fit, right time. And I think the right fit and the right time for Rhett Lashley to come here um, made a lot of sense. Um, his combination of what he's doing offensively now, you know, in terms of you know where he's been, who he's learned from, the influences he's had, and the success with different types of quarterbacks. You know, when when Miami has had the quarterback position humming, Miami has competed for championships. Um, and so, you know, when you have a guy that's been able to develop quarterbacks, one with runners one with non-runners one with guys in between i think i think there's a lot of exciting things about that as well well, well that's that's what i was curious about because it was it you know seeing him do this with shane bouchelle you'd seen him do it with nick marshall you'd seen him working with gus malzahn when they had cam newton but shane bouchelle is a totally different quarterback than those guys and that's they right. had a lot of success there well i think that's some of the influence of the air raid you know and and um when you look at offenses in the ACC, SEC, we're you know really east of the Mississippi. Um, we're just getting to that point where some of those, you know, air raid or Big Twelve principles are really starting. You know, I mean, everybody's had some aspect of it, um, but I think that combination to what Red has done um, and what that can do to the quarterback, because because ultimately, when you talk about athletes and spread offense, you're trying to make an offense that's quarterback friendly, where you don't have to have a first round draft choice to score points on offense. And, and so you're looking for people who consistently perform regardless of quarterbacks coming and going and are able to move the ball and score points. All right, this question is for both of you, and we'll let Mike, you go first on this. Um, listening to what he said about you don't have to have quarterbacks with first-round picks to run the spread offense. I, I'm still a firm believer that you need a quarterback who is a good quarterback and makes good decisions, regardless if you're in the spread whether or not you're high up tempo. I mean, I know this is supposed to lower the level of thinking, but I think it's, it, to me, the quarterback position, the fact that they have Derek King is why they have a chance to be really good this year. Because if you had this offense, but you didn't have Derek King, I'm not so sure I'm as confident about the Hurricanes' chances next year. How do you feel about it? Do you think it's the quarterback or the scheme? Uh, I, I think it's the scheme, to be honest, because I think in, especially in Lashley's offense, the quarterback is more of a plug and play. Um, I do think Derek King uh, gives it more of an upgrade. I think you can put an, a little above average quarterback in that system and they'll still be successful and productive. But if you put a, a dynamic quarterback like Derek King in there, I think it just raises the level of the offense. Um I do. I think it's the scheme. I think it's a plug and play position. Um, with that being said, though, a a guy like Derek King certainly even raises that bar even higher. Kelvin, um, it's a little bit of both, but you got to have a quarterback. If Malik Rozier was running this um, system, we'd be eight and four. We can mm-hmm. go twelve to fifteen and over with this kid. And look. Um, I've uh, I've uh, in, ingrained myself into understanding the uh, verbiage and the um, the scheme of the of the raid. This is not as simple as they make it out to be. Um, and to be honest with you, we saw air raid last year at UNC, and if we don't give up fourth and seventeen we beat them because the one thing that I think everyone needs to understand is 
the SEC and the ACC have the two things that shut the area down. Pass rushing down linemen, press corners. If you look at all these teams, you notice um, Mike Leach. I, th I want everybody to go and look at the University of Washington versus Washington State game this year. They shut him down because they rushed the passer and they pressed at the line of scrimmage and shut the receivers down. And with with the, 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 the softness of the game nowadays, receivers don't know how to get off jams. And a lot of that is because you have re receiver coaches who aren't teaching how to get off jams because they don't know how to do it. So, you know, I, I was a little skeptical of the Lycans hire, but he, has a, he is a wide receiver. So um, he should be able to teach getting off jams now. Uh, but the thing that's going to make us, in my opinion, and why I'm predicting we're going to go minimum 11-1 is De'Eric King because the quarterback position, whether it be an air raid, wishbone, wing tee, pro set, is about processing what the defense is giving you in less than 15 seconds and then making the proper decision and when you have to making accurate throws and this kid does all three of those things and he adds a fourth element that if you blitz the wrong gap he's to the house yeah. so you got a kid who had 50 touchdown total touchdowns two years ago so he adds a whole nother element to this offense yeah i looked at the numbers by the way since i'm a numbers geek uh the greatest running quarterback in miami history is uh, malik rozier and he has 800 career rushing yards. So this is the first time ever Miami will have a real threat uh, to run the football back there in De'Ara King. And I'm interested to see how that sort of transcends moving forward. Does that mean Miami's going to look for more of those kind of quarterbacks? Obviously, we don't know how, how long Rhett Lashley is going to be here. But one, one follow-up question before we get to the next audio clip for both of you. And you can chip in here. But um, what... <sighs> Had they gone to the system earlier, because right, a lot of what Manny just said was it's the right time to kind of go to the spread and, and this up-tempo style. I'm trying to rack my brain to think, you know, had Miami done this in 2005 or 2008 or 2012, would, would it have been effective then? And did they have the personnel, you think, to really run and be successful with it? Because let's be honest, down here in South Florida, I've covered tons of high school football games. Everybody's been running the spread and four and five wide receiver sets since Booker T. Washington and Tim Ice Harris did this, I want to say around 2007, them and Northwestern with Ja'Cory Harris and Aldarius Johnson and Tommy Streeter. That's when everything sort of went to that system. And so a lot of the kids have grown up playing it. But my question to you guys is, did Miami have the personnel, the right quarterback maybe to run the system and just late to the party? We were running it. That's the misnomer about this. Look, I don't, I mean, I, when I hear people say spread, we've ran, look, the spread offense is one back, three to four wideouts. Uh, usually it's 11 personnel, which is a tight end and a back. We've been running that, we've, we haven't run a two back system since uh, Brock Berlin. The situation here is, is that the tempo is, uh, is faster and the playbook is simpler. Uh, James Coley ran a similar offense with Stephen Morris. Um, you know, uh, Mark Whipple, if, if, matter of fact, if you look at Mark Whipple's offense at Pitt, it's basically a no-huddle 
fast-paced offense, but he adds some running. The reality is, and nobody wants to, you know, just fess up to this, is that our receivers are were dumb. I yep. mean, I ain't got no problem saying it. Look, we we've said it here on this Dan, podcast before. <laughs> I'm gonna say it again. Dan Enos was not the bad guy. Now, the problem was he wasn't. He was taking a pro football approach. Tim and Butchberry both, even with the offensive lineman, is that hey, y'all gonna learn this or we just gonna move on. And the problem is there was some stubbornness because basically the inmates were running the asylum to some point because you couldn't get rid of all the receivers, but you could get rid of the offensive coordinator. But in this situation, the leverage is back in Manny's hands because he's got a group of young receivers who are coming in. And so now those, you know, Jeff Thomas is gone. Basically the cancer is gone. Jeff, you know, is gone. And I wish the kid all the luck in the world, but he didn't buy into the system. And that's the difference. Nobody bought into the system, but you know, Dan Enos is going to be fine. He'll get a job. Uh, Butch Burial, he'll he'll get a job. But, and I keep saying this, the offense that we didn't learn last year, that if these kids would have bought into it, uh, is the same offense that when they want to go and try and play for the Chiefs, that same exact terminology is what they're going to have to learn. But they're not going to have um, a, a spring and a fall to learn it. They're going to have to learn it right away. Now, the personnel has always been there. It's it, it it it's it's really on the players. I guess it's what you know I'm saying, and it kind mm -hmm. of frustrates me because, you know, the biggest problem we've had as an organization, as a as a program, is the players. We can say the coach has been bad, but you know what? We've had four different head coaches, and if you go all the way back to Randy Shannon's staff, the coaches go other places and do good. So, what does that tell you? Let, let, let me ask you this, guys. Uh, if, say, say Miami moved to a, a more like a Rhett Lashley-type offense back in 2007, sure, they haven't had the kind of talent, but would that kind of offense may have attracted better talent in recruiting? Because I'm sure there have been so many South Florida athletes that have looked at the the pro-style offense Miami's run and, and figured, hey, they can succeed more somewhere else. Would that have affected... Uh, recruiting in any way, possibly maybe bringing in better talent if they switch to a more dynamic offense earlier on? Uh, I'll I'll get to that one first, Kevin. I'll let you answer. But my feeling is, you, you know, I think you, you're kind of hinting at guys like Lamar Jackson and Teddy Bridgewater. Would Miami have had a better chance at getting those guys? Maybe. But I think a lot of Miami's failures in recruiting and not being able to get better players had to do with coaching changes and failures on the field. The fact that the team stunk for so long, the fact that the run of first-round picks came to an end and Miami stopped looking like a, a program that could produce top-end NFL talent. I think that had a bigger effect on recruiting than anything else. Kelvin? Yeah, I kind of agree with that because, for first of all, the, the quarterbacks that you mentioned, um, Teddy Bridgewater, was coming here until he fired Randy. Lamar Jackson... They laid it out to him. Look, after Brad leaves, you're the starter. Well, his mama didn't want to hear that. She wanted to go somewhere we could start as a true freshman. And, uh, you know, Louisville was there. Um, I will say this. Uh, if Mark would have just... Because let's go back to Mark's first year when he had Brad. Let's just look at this. We ran a spread offense. We ran, a one, we ran 11 personnel majority of the time. 
uh, probably 90-some percent of the time. If Mark would have just turned the offense over to Brad quicker, we wouldn't be in this problem right now. Because, right. The, and, and I think part of the reason why it was a struggle is that Mark was somewhat stubborn and that he didn't believe that the prior staff knew what the hell they were doing. And so, for whatever reason, he didn't think, it took him a while to realize that Brad was, you know, that guy. Now, I'll say this. If we have Brad in this offense right here, you're you're basically seeing Shane, Shane Bussell production on steroids. Because yeah. with his intelligence and his accuracy, um, it would have been interesting. Yep. You know, the up-tempo thing. By the way, but, Miami, in, in Mark Rick's first season, um, they ranked 25th in yards per play, even though they ran only 66 plays per game, which was 113th. And in terms of passing, they were 27th. They ended up going backwards each season after that, uh, falling all the way to 113th in passing in Mark's last season. So, you know, and they were good players. I mean, you had Njoku, you had Mark Walton, you had Herndon, Barrios, all guys that made it to the league, Homer. Um, so it's not like there wasn't talent here, offensive talent. It just it went backwards in a hurry, and that's that's ultimately what led to the shift uh, in the system. All right, the next uh, audio clip I wanted to play for you um, was what caused the computer to crash. Um, let's get to it. So what you got to go back in and just say, okay, well, what caused the computer to crash? Right, because we had something going for for a month there. For you know, we looked like we were kind of a yeah. of a, a, a competent unit, you yeah. know. And then the way that it went down so spectacularly in a weird way may turn out to be a blessing because it forced it forced us to take a hard look at ourselves and not just gloss over an issue and say, well, that was just a bad day at the office um, and say, you know what, we have some fatal flaws in here that we have to go get corrected. The question I have for you, Kelvin, listening to him say that is, do you really think Manny would have stuck with Dan Enos and Jaron Williams? Had they won their last three games? Possibly, because would the, I mean, the question is, would the train have gone off the tracks? Because right. let's go back and look at the game prior to FIU. The kid threw six touchdown passes, <laughs> yeah. which goes back to my, what I'm saying here is, if everybody does what they're supposed to do, um... We score points. The problem was, you know, and, and then, you know, ironically, the offensive line was starting at jail. Um, D. Wiggins had turned the corner. And then we go out against FIU. And D. Wiggins lays an egg on the first route. And, Jay, and you know, I still remember watching Jaron Williams go off that field. And I knew we were in trouble because his head dropped immediately. His confidence was gone. And, you know, it it was a bad situation, but and this is gonna sound bad, but I'm glad that kid's gone because he was holding us hostage. I wish him the best, but it just seemed like to me his intentions and what he was trying to accomplish and the team goals and accomplishment weren't on the same level. And you know, it's something you said to me that really stuck in my craw. The kid had a losing record in high school. So yeah. we got a guy that's leading our ship that don't know how to win. And it's no disrespect to the kid, but I need somebody that's at least been to the playoffs in high school. Yeah. 
um, it's just it's funny to hear Manny say what he said about it's a blessing in disguise because they I think at at one point he really thought this was going to work and there were so many flaws within the system. You know, everybody was behind it when they beat FSU in Louisville and you had the six touchdown passes. Nobody was sitting here banging their chest saying, I don't care. We still got to go to the spread. We still got to get a new quarterback. Nobody was saying that at the time. And I guess my question for you, Mike, is, I mean, would you have been okay had Miami finished the season 3-0? Or is it really like, hey, they really needed to make this change and, you know, forget forget how the season would have ended? No, I, I to say a blessing in disguise, I, I wouldn't go that far. Um, I do think that it helped uncover the problems that we all knew um, was there. It just, I think it accelerated the process. That I think that's really what it did. Yeah, because what would have happened is they would have all come back, and then this year would have been a disaster, this coming 2020 season, right? I mean, at some point, this would have probably ended badly. All right, the last thing I want to get to here is what Manny said in terms of uh, how you can sometimes – end up adding by subtracting i think that is the million dollar question and i think you're like probably most things in life the answer is somewhere between you know i i mean you have to sometimes assess is this an immaturity issue or is this person's you know operating software right because you're dealing with a someone's life here that's right and and ultimately you want that human being to be successful that's right and and this is in reference to andy bringing up you know running players off and or, or if not running players off, telling guys, hey, you're better off somewhere else. Ultimately, that's what we learned from this Jaron Williams situation and from Dan Enos. Um, you know, Enos was volatile, whether or not this was why he was fired, but he was volatile behind the scenes. I mean, he was screaming at assistant coaches in meetings, and, um, you know, you could see it on game days on the sidelines. He was losing his mind with Jaron Williams and these quarterbacks, and rightfully so. I mean, I can understand why you'd be frustrated when, when guys are breaking curfew, et cetera, but... I think it's an interesting question to bring up because especially now with all this discussion about, you know, the one-time transfer rule, you're kind of free to go wherever you want. Um, I know the ACC um, supporting the Big Ten and sort of that movement, but it's it, it's funny, you know. Back in the day, coaches, I think, would debate, you know, hey, do I have to um, try to keep this kid here and, and give him some playing time? Now it's sort of like, I think a lot of them are, are because of the transfer portal, probably looking at like, you know what? Yes, I, we recruited the heck out of this guy in high school. We got him here, but he's just not a fit. Let's just run him off. And I think they may be more apt to do that now, especially with the transfer portal. Kelvin, your thoughts? Yeah, here's the thing. Um, you know, you made a point about, um, you know, being, you know, yelling at coaches, players, you know, you're, you're talking about a guy. You got to think about that. This guy left the mecca of what is uh, the, one of the two meccas of college football right now with the intention of coming here to make this program, um, put this program back where it was, which is the king of college football. And I really honestly believe he felt like he was lied to when he got here and that and I've said this to you many times the year before he had Jalen Hurts and Tua two guys who were coming early and leaving late I mean let me put this in perspective when Tua was in high school they ran a wing T offense him and his dad after practice would go and do passing drills 
after practice, before practice. When he was at Alabama, Jalen Hurts had never had a quarterback coach before. He would show up early to do the the, 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 the drills and whatnot. And if you notice, when Jalen, Jaron Williams actually used the, uh, the, the tools that Dan Enos gave him, he got better. As a matter of fact, you you know you can recall uh, when he threw the six touchdowns in that 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 post game or that Monday interview. He talked about how they had pinpointed some of the flaws in his his, his throwing motion, and through drills they gotten better. All right, so you you come, and then you got I'll say it. You had a couple coaches who what the hell was going on at some point in time. So you're going from a place where the guy who you just coached with, and then let's not forget, before he was at Alabama, he was at Michigan, another guy who was a detail guy. And then you come here, and you got guys who are missing curfew, who uh, you got to force, you got to give them a quiz every damn week because they don't watch film correctly. I would be yelling at you guys too. I mean, could you imagine if you were – you know, being sloppy with your 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 stories, what your editor is going to say to you, and so I just think that Manny got a chance. He saw opening, and I think he realized that Enos was tainted, and you know, he had a bad taste in his mouth. And I don't think that was going to change because now you got Enos looking at Manny sideways, like, "What the hell you brought me to?" I mean, and mind you, the money was good, but. So you had the clean slate, and then to Manny's credit, he took a step back and he found a way to get the leverage back in his in his favor. And he, he, if you look at how he changed the makeup of that quarterback room with De'Aaron King and Tyler Van Dyke, I think that's going to be the key to this program getting back to where it's at. Yeah, and Manny Manny also mentioned how you know, and he said this during National Signing Day. That ultimately he wants Derek to not just help the quarterback room this year, but help it next year when he's gone, and that's really showing these guys how to get receivers to come out and work out with them, and to put in the extra time, et cetera, et cetera. And and so we know, look, Manny Diaz has changed the culture, he's changed the weight room, he's, you know, he just needs the players to completely buy in now, and that's ultimately what I took away uh, from this interview. And uh, you know, I encourage our listeners to make sure to check out the Andy Stables podcast on iTunes and, and at theathletic.com um, because it's the full thing. It's about 22 minutes, and we just gave you a few sound clips and our own thoughts from listening to it. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting because when you're trying to really put your imprint on a program, there's so many things you have to deal with, and I think fans don't appreciate everything that a head coach has to do. It's not just recruiting and bringing in talent. It's not just, you know, scheme and what you do X's and O's. It really comes down to – can you get the players to buy in to everything you're trying to accomplish? And in the end, if those guys are not completely bought in, if they're not completely selling out to be the kind of players that you need them to be, then you're, you're just not going to win. You're not going to have success. It's just not going to work. And so much of the psychology nowadays of, of how do I motivate a guy, you know, two weeks after he throws six touchdowns and sets an ACC record, you know, and, and instead he's <laughs> breaking curfew the night before the FIU game. It's just it's one of those things that it's hard to do, and that's why you see so many changes in, in coaching nowadays. There's so much pressure to win. People expect results right away, and it's really unfair. It's really hard to be a coach right now 
in college football with all the responsibilities. And that's why you see so many guys go to the pros. They just don't want to deal with the kids because when you go to the pros, you have a waiver wire. You can cut a guy. You know, you can you can make a move and just change the roster quickly. In college football, you you know, that doesn't happen until the offseason. You know, the waiver wire, all those changes, you can't go out and find a kicker until the offseason. You can't go out and find a new quarterback until the offseason. Um, in the NFL, you can do it right away. And so Manny Diaz basically had a bad batch of apples he had to deal with, and he had to swallow it for one season. And in the end, as soon as the offseason came, he made all the changes that he had to do. And you got to tip your cap to him because not every head coach in, in college football has done that. We saw what happened with Al Golden here. He wouldn't change his mind in regards to the defensive scheme, wouldn't get rid of Mark D'Onofrio. And in the end, it was five disastrous seasons with Al Golden at the helm. And, you know, it, it put this program back. Manny Diaz is not playing it that way. He's not doing it that way. He's being proactive. And I think that's something to be proud of. Mike, I want to go to you first. Your final thoughts as we wrap up this podcast. Uh, I, I think that he's just, he's given, man, he's given the fan base, uh, I guess, a little more confidence. Um, I'll go back to that word, confidence. Um, you know, I, th- I think the fan base was probably at, the, at its lowest point ever at the end of last season in the loss to Louisiana Tech. And I think with the moves he's made, um, whether it's players have gone or come in, uh, coaches have gone or come in. I think the fan base at least feels good about, I guess, the direction that Manny Diaz is 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 taking this program now. Whether or not that results in on-field success, we'll see, and that can quickly change as as we know. But um, I think it's more of doing this off season rather than just talking last off season. Kelvin, your final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um you know that the quarterback room changed uh we got a great quarterback in De'Aaron King we got a young quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke they're gonna basically push Nicosi Perry to be all about his business so we and then we have Rhett Lashley as the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator so the quarterback room is about his business we got another stud defensive end we got Zach McLeod as our Mike linebacker and we got our entire secondary coming back there is no excuse I'm going back you know we as alumni expect championships every year and this year I expect 11 and 1 minimum because he's gotten rid of the cancer so now um, now we're still relatively young but the schedule says 11 and 1, 12 and 0. And so now he's, he's, he's climbed one mountain and that he cleared out the cancer and the infection. Now it's execution time. We got to get everybody focused, everybody healthy, and we got to win this coastal. And in my opinion, Manny, like I told you, I've been looking at it, we got a 50-50 shot to beat Clemson when I look at their roster and I compare it to ours with Derrick King as our quarterback. So that should be the goal. And that's the mindset that I think Ed Reed will bring to the org, to the program. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the next few months progress. And um, I will be there for the start of spring practice on February 29th. It's actually the day after our final uh, athletic college football meetings up in Indianapolis. I'll be flying back the night before. But – 
My plan is to be there Saturday and for all the spring practices, whenever they make media availability. Next week, I'd like to do another podcast previewing and discussing some of the storylines heading into spring camp. So make sure you tune back into The Athletic. I know uh, I've been a little scarce lately since I've had a little bit of time off. I've been doing some spring training baseball with the Marlins. I just wrote a baseball story previewing uh, this weekend series between the Canes and Gators, number one versus number two in college baseball. So there's a lot to read on there, and our, and our college football department keeps cranking out stories even when I'm on semi-vacation. So, um, But we'll be back next week, hopefully, with another podcast. Uh, for Kelvin Harris and uh, my producer, Michael Zimmerman, who always does a great job, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Just deal with the repercussions. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge.